welcome to this episode of AU Manufacturing Conversations with Brent Bulinski, featuring one of the companies we're putting forward as part of our quest to identify Australia's 50 most innovative manufacturers. This is the first time we've ever run this campaign, and we absolutely, positively couldn't have gone ahead without the generous help of Bosch Australia Manufacturing Solutions, SMC Corporation Australia, and lead sponsor MYOB. MYOB is a business management platform that brings together key workflows to fit business needs. MYOB has been part of the fabric of doing business in Australia and New Zealand for more than 30 years and integrates manufacturing, inventory management and accounting to help businesses streamline business processes. Ian, thank you very much for joining us here on AU Manufacturing Conversations. Good to have you on the program and thanks for taking the time. No worries, thank you. The first question we like to ask guests is, how did you get here and what do you make? At the moment, we're making agricultural fencing tools. Basically, this came about, or the business came about, because I was just in product development and I had another business. We were doing fast-built housing and I've had a product development background, started off in irrigation hydraulic design and essentially it was it was my patent attorney, Fraser, who who sort of said to me, was I interested in looking at wire, tying wire? (laughs) And uh, I'd actually had nothing to do with it at the time. I've actually had a look at wire tying equipment through basically sunglasses, um, sunglass manufacturer and that sort of thing. And so I had a sort of feel for it. I knew that it was going to be a pretty difficult thing to do because fencing wire is pretty hard, high tensile stuff. So what I said was, oh, look, I'll take a look at it. And at the time, I was actually travelling back and forth from China with another project. And I sort of said, look, we'll have a go at it. And I started putting together some devices to tie wire and that were not particularly successful. Had a lot of goes at it. And uh, we were trying to tie barbed wire because it's a difficult thing for most people to do. And through that, I've noticed we're having to remove the barbs. I was watching contractors remove the barbs in order to tie the barbed wire, you see, to remove the barbs off there. And I'd seen how difficult it was for people to do it. So I thought I can solve that problem. And we created the debarber and took that to market and sort of did quite well. And then off we went from there. And then there was a number of different products and I suppose when we then really looked at the market I realised that we were probably going down the wrong road with the wire tying tool and just what the contractors really wanted was a tool to twist the wire or tie off the wire for exclusion netting and exclusion fencing especially dog netting because there's so many lines and so that evolved and of course then when I was looking at the whole industry, the one thing I found that everyone was complaining about was the wire grippers and the wire tensioning equipment that was available. And uh, basically, there's only two people making stuff, and Australia makes the best stuff essentially in the world. So from there, I thought that there were out of these inherent problems with the grippers, essentially because most of them are not spring-loaded, the vast majority. And there's only one other mob that's making one spring loaded and I noticed they were using torsion springs and from my sort of background torsion springs are a spring that one should studiously avoid unless you've got a very good design for them so we went with an expansion spring in it it's uh, really sort of hit the market so even though the products are pretty basic pretty simple things they a lot of them haven't really been looked at in any great detail for for well over 100 years and so that's how it's come about. 
And can yeah. I just ask, given my complete ignorance of the subject, I'm interested in why torsion springs are to be studiously avoided for such products. What's the story there? <laughs> okay, well, the reason being is, is basically with most springs, you require a lot of coils. People often underestimate how far the movement is going to be. And with torsion springs, even if you're only having a fairly short movement of sort of 45 degrees, then in torsion spring distance, that's quite a long way. And so typically you'd probably want as many coils as you could get, 10, 15 coils for that. I mean, this is just an anecdotal sort of thing, but rule of thumb. And the problem is, is that when you're trying to do that on a device that's quite squat, it creates a lot of problems because you're then trying to push this thing down and so what people tend to do is use thick wire very thick wire with very few coils and that creates problems and there's one other person in the marketplace who's using a full coil using the spring as the actual tension device but the problem is is when the tension gets up over 150 to 200 kilos then the tool starts to work in reverse and because the spring is actually taking load that's a problem Whereas with the design we have, all the spring is actually doing is is placing a load on the wire up until you put tension on the cable or on the tying device or the come along. And basically the spring is after that point is of no use whatsoever. It's all it's doing is just holding the thing in place because the load is on it and the tension holds the thing in place anyway. And of course we through the mechanism we can actually get a lot more force with the spring and then with this device or the grippers it's much easier to manipulate that load with the design that we have so that's a more intuitive thing as well because it's just like using a pair of pliers so very very simple concept but no one's done it before <laughs> yeah <laughs> well it doesn't have to have sensors or computing in it or connectivity to the internet it just has to serve a purpose and it has to answer a need and that's what you're doing it's an area i come at this completely out of it and but fencing is a dangerous thing and there's not many people talk about it but you know for instance the tool has now been taken up by british rail and they've just for the sort of ohs aspects of it they're the only tensions they'll use now so they're a lot safer to use simple little thing there's a lot of interest around the world you mentioned the Debarba as your first product. How has product development changed in the time since? What are you doing differently now compared to then? From my perspective, not that much. Obviously, the big thing that's come along in recent times is 3D printing, which we utilised fairly early on. And typically as well, now that there's capacity to print in aluminium, that's been quite a big deal. But initially we made the debarber and I made it out of plastics because I thought it'd be cheap to make, but that actually caused quite a bit of problem anyway, because the barb would stick into the barb wire and it wouldn't unravel the barb. Then we went to a full stainless steel thing. But look, I mean, from a product development perspective, so I've been at this quite a long time and it's more because we're here trying to commercialise things as quick as possible, really most of the thinking is about how not to add in any problems or add in anything that would impinge our ability to manufacture quickly. 
And so uh, what's the size of the company now? Is it still just you two guys or you've got some more people? Well, we've got a couple of employees. We've got uh, a couple of employees on as well at the moment, Yeah, coming in a few days a week. And we're sort of doubling the size of the business every year. We'd be turning over a bit less than a million at the moment, I suppose, uh, a year. But we would expect to definitely go through that this year. And we're already exporting to the UK and we will be exporting this year to the US as well. Yeah. For you. So you mentioned some of the problems you were seeking to solve earlier. I'd like to learn from you how you understand innovation at Wyman and if you and Fraser, given that he's a patent attorney, have slightly different viewpoints on the subject, given your different backgrounds. Yeah, well, we come at it from a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, I'm about solving problems. We are still, as I say, here to be commercially viable, so there's no point in solving problems that really have no commercial application. So we tend to look at it from the perspective of if there's a problem we feel that is solved. Now, often it's very difficult to tell how much or what the value of solving that problem is because no one else has solved it. So how do you compare that to what's out there? So it can be very, very difficult to tell what the value is of what you're doing. But I come at it from the point of view, can it be done? And can it be done at a price that the customer or someone's prepared to pay for it? And a, a large amount of people are going to pay for it. I think around all those sorts of things. I sort of think three-dimensionally. So I, I think about the problem, whereas sometimes Fraser will present me with a problem. So this is a problem that needs to be solved or was worth trying to solve. And then I'll give us some thought. If I think we can solve the problem, then we'll step into it. We're also after things that are fairly small so that we can ship through the postal service. That just means that we just broaden our market scope much more that way. And then from where Fraser comes at it is, is obviously Fraser being Pat attorney has met many, many people with a lot of ideas and he can bring an input into things that is very, very broad and also can flag issues from an IP perspective, which can be extremely helpful. So it's a completely different way of looking at things. He has a, he was also a sort of electrical engineer by training. We'd like to take another moment now to acknowledge our sponsors, MYOB, as well as Bosch Australian Manufacturing Solutions and SMC Corporation Australia. There would be no Australia's 50 Most Innovative Manufacturers campaign without them. Be sure to check them each out via the links in the show notes and give them a follow on LinkedIn. In your nomination, you mentioned that rural folk tend to be very direct with their assessment of solutions, and that's been a part of your success so far. Could you tell us, please, about how product testing and customer feedback look for you guys? Typically, with stuff that I do, I will make something, we'll try it, and we don't do a hell of a lot of product testing, unless, of course, there's a safety sort of factor behind it. But, you know, make it, try it out, see does it work in essence does it pass the pub test if that feels right it's then a question of really understanding how much it's going to cost you to manufacture this at scale understanding the whole way in which you're going to take it to market and then we will make a few so make a few at uh, even if it's quite high cost so essentially we're selling it at below cost and we will just put it into the market and see if there's a desire for the product and if people want it and if they like it and give it to people, what do they think of it? Do they use it? And we can often, we will give people what we 
have respectful, give them the unit, see what they say about it. And then if that goes well, then we'll go to a limited run of them, maybe 100 or so of the particular device, 200. Then take that to market, see how it goes, see what people feel about it. And then with that, really start to understand what it's going to cost to scale up. If it's working, we'll carry on. If it doesn't, we'll drop it. And so are you making your products in-house? Do you have machineries and, and tooling or are you just sort of using contract manufacturers about the place? It's a bit of a mixture of both. I find often a lot of things people don't want to do. Like if you want to get, uh, we have a orbital riveter, for example. It's very difficult to get anyone with an orbital riveter that will do anything contract, even stamping and that sort of thing, purely because they're using it for their own device there. They've got it set up in their particular way. They couldn't be bothered. Well, they don't want to actually change to do a job for you, especially if there's not massive volume in it. Very difficult to get anyone to be interested in doing that. So we have to do that manufacturing in essence. And so we do a certain amount, but other stuff, it would just be simply too expensive to own all of that equipment. It's just not realistic to do that. And so we farm that out. A lot of stuff we get laser cut. Some stuff will get stamped. We have presses ourselves as well, but we would use that as much as a backup as anything. So some stuff we'd get made offshore, a lot of stuff we get made here, and we try to do as much, obviously, in Australia as possible because you know, we prefer to do that anyway, but the other side too, is, and especially in recent times, if shipping gets in your way, suddenly you don't have anything. Yep. You don't have a product to sell. doesn't matter how cheap it is if you haven't got it. Right, and so you mentioned the wire grippers earlier. Do you want to expand on them? Well, the only thing I would say on that is, is that the wipe grip has been very, very good because what it's done is it's opened up a lot of other different – so we sell a lot of other tools allied to that wire gripper. We have a lot of IP in the company. You've got the picket extensions uh, essentially, that, which are more of an infrastructure-style item. The wire grippers have just started to drive a large part of the business because we do strainer boards as well and then people use them on that and we tend to find that it's a sort of an entry product to us as a brand. People buy that and then they go, oh, that's pretty good, and then they buy more stuff associated with that and then they'll swap over their whole sort of setup to start using them. So and it's allowed also to deal with wire and a different way or to actually strain the wire differently. So that one product is a bit of a gateway style product really yeah. in a way. I saw that the grippers are a part of quite a few kits that you have. It's a standalone product, but it's also a part of other products. That's right. I mean, even to the point of us using it for people to hold wire and pull wire. So if you want to run a lot of wire out and you want to run some barbed wire out, you don't really want to get hold of it by your hand. You mm. So then you can just grip this onto it and then... We have a handle that goes with it and then you can pull the wire along it. It's not going to let go. It's quite unusual, like to the point where we could actually even sell them to people for holding pictures on walls right. because you can, you can, you just squeeze the handles, move it up and let it go and it'll mm. grab on. Before the tape was running, you mentioned a bit of activity related to some interest on Facebook. Now, I'd like to know um, how your customers are finding you currently. Are you getting attention via reviews or word of mouth or search engine results? What's the source of your business leads? When I came to this business, when we came at it, I have had businesses in the past where I've tried to sell big things to corporates 
you know, housing and so forth, equipment to corporate players. Now, the problem with that is, yes, you might sell a lot and you might do a lot of big contracts, but the problem is is that you also might not. And as a general rule, people can be very, very cautious. So you, you sort of can often be spending a lot of time waiting for the big contract or something which may or may not come. So it was a deliberate effort to go for a business this time. One of the good things was that we, we started off cheaply and when we looked at the competitors a lot of the competitors would not sell components and that was one of the things with the grippers went no no no, we'll just sell one a small thing and that means that someone doesn't need to spend hundreds of dollars they can spend 70 80 dollars and they've got a tool which is again a bit of a gateway product for us we can ship that through the post small post bag and that's got us out there and so what happened was that meant that we could then go on to internet marketing and sell this that way so it's a very considered thing that i sort of write i've got a I've got to learn about how to sell online, especially through COVID. It was a very good thing. So because also a lot of people are remote. And if you think back to, you know, in America, they had the Sears catalogue and people bought out of that and it got shipped out to them and away you went. And so that was, was a definite idea. And so from there, obviously, I explored Facebook, YouTube and how to really get yourself onto Google. Fortunately, I reached out to Tim Thompson. Yep. Um, he was just sort of starting out as an influencer. I'd there's just this concept of influencer marketing didn't know whether it was worth doing but from all the sort of stuff that i'd been reading i thought it looked like the right way to go and it's been a very very good thing for us you know he got to seem to get a kick out of it and i helped him in a few ways uh, just with the production side of thing it's this sort of video or filmmaking style stuff uh yeah it, it worked very well for us but the uh, learning about how to do stuff online has been yes yeah, quite an eye opener, but yeah, YouTube is a big deal, and uh, obviously working your way through SEO. Interesting, you mentioned Tim Thompson. I don't speak to many makers of fencing products, but the one I can remember was Nicole Davidson from Davos Fencing Clips, and she mentioned yep. that she got a pretty decent boost from their product being on Tim Thompson's program. So it seems to be popular. There's no doubt. Look, you know, he set out to be a YouTuber producing content. He's a content producer, essentially. I think probably even you know we had a bit of a shot on landline and. Mm-hmm. Um, YouTube means a lot to people, again, people out in the bush because television services are not out there. A lot of guys are, one of the funny things is a lot of guys, they're sitting on a remotely driven header or tractor and they can watch YouTube. (laughs) 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 It resulted in quite a bit of damaged farm equipment probably. But uh, that's the reality of it, and quite a lot of people are watching what Tim Thompson is doing. We hear it at the shows as well, people reference it, so it's been a a very, very good thing for us. And so what are your ambitions over the next few years? Are you looking to just keep doubling every year? I don't know. There would be a a limit to how big the market size is. At the end of the day, farm infrastructure, it's a bit of an unknown. But look, we would we definitely can see the business. We've got a number of products which are going to come out from here. And there's still a lot of room to move in what we're doing. We're only just scratching the surface, really. And also, the thing is, is... People are fairly slow in in the country to take things on. It's just because there's a sort of, well, there's definitely the attitude of hey, it was good enough for Dad and so it's good enough for me sort of attitude. Whereas, but of course, people do recognise a lot of guys that've got a lot of very sophisticated equipment on farm. They're very quick 
to pick things up. So there's still also very much an appetite for if it's going to do the job better, people want it. Yeah. You know, there's just no doubt about it. And, of course, the issues that we're solving have been around for a long time and nobody's really, in my view, nobody's really come up with good solutions for those problems. And so there's opportunity. So lastly, is there an issue within manufacturing that isn't getting the attention it deserves? Well, the only thing I would say to that is is probably IP and the length of time that IP would be around, especially designs and so forth, that they could be a bit longer because what the problem is is often the scale-up process is long and quite arduous because you've actually got to obviously tell the market that you've got the product and that can take quite a long time to let people know that you have it. And by the time you've actually get really got going, the IP is about to expire. So that is something that definitely deserves some attention. Okay, Ian, well, that's everything I wanted to ask you. So thank you very much for joining us here on AU Manufacturing Conversations and thanks for entering our Australia's 50 Most Innovative Manufacturers campaign. All the best with that. Okay, thank you. See you later. All right. All all the best. Thank you. Bye-bye.